Ladies and gentlemen, due to technical difficulties, this week's episode will not feature Son of Godzilla as planned, but Yangre instead. We hope to have Son of Godzilla ready for you next week. Thank you. One, two, three, four. Monster Movie. Fun time, go! 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 With Precious D and Honey Bee. Fun time, go! Hello, friends and neighbors, and welcome to the show. I am Precious D, and with me, as always, is my imaginary friend, Honey Bee. Say hello to the folks, Honey Bee. Hello to the folks, Honey Bee. Today, Honeybee, we have a special guest coming up later in the show. Ooh, tell me all about it. We're going to be talking to Jason Vay, who is a role-playing game designer. Oh, yeah. He has a company called Elf Lair Games, and he also does work for Troll Lord Games. Uh, but he has, from Elf Lair, a game called Night Shift Veterans of the Supernatural Wars, which is all about fighting monsters, which is how I've shoehorned it into the premise of this show. Very nice. Very nice. I mean, many role-playing games, most role-playing games involve fighting some kind of monster, but this is like a modern urban supernatural, like Buffy or the show Supernatural or Charmed, that kind of a setting. Very cool. So we'll be talking to him later in the show but now let's get on with the movie let's do it today we're talking about a korean movie a south korean movie it's only the third one the third only the third monster movie uh, kaiju movie that south korea made the first one is is lost the second one is the one we mentioned before space monster wangmani that is about to be re-released, but we haven't got a hold of a copy of it yet. So this one is Yangare from 1967. It's in color, 80 minutes, directed by Kim Kai Duk. The budget was 13 to 30 million won. That's kind of a large range there. <laughs> the featured monster is Yangare. And this movie was remade in 1999 as Yangare with two Gs. And then that version was recut and upgraded in 2001 and released as the 2001 upgraded version, but then released in America and other places under the name Reptilian. Oh, that makes sense. Because when I was looking for this movie... I found it on, I think it was, was it Prime? Amazon Prime? Uh-huh. Yeah. But then when I clicked on it, it the cover changed and said I was watching Reptilian. Okay. And I was like, yeah. no, no, no. And I went back and I had to like, I like Googled it. Like I even like put the year in. I was like, it was because uh-huh. it was different. And it showed right. like the first thing. It was so confusing. But that yeah. made, I thought We're- I. Okay, that makes sense. We're doing Yangare with one G. Yeah. That's Yangare with two Gs. Uh, This one is available on Prime and Plex and Paramount+. Plus. The other one is available on Tubi and Vudu and Prime. And the original was done on MST3K. They say the new one's a reimagining, so maybe it's a lot different. I don't know. We'll get to that when we get to 1999. (laughs) Uh, The cast, I hope you have it written in your notes, because I don't know who some of these people are. I have have the, like, important people's names, I think, mostly. (laughs) All right, because I have uh, Ouyang Il as Il Wu, Kwang Ho Lee as Yu Yong, Nam Jung Im as Yu Soon, uh, or Yu Soon Ah, Mm -hmm. Lee Soon Jae as Yoon Kwang Nam. Moon Kang as Kim Yuri and Cho Kyung Min as Yangare. So I'm I know who uh, Yoon Sun Ah is. So uh, like in Japanese and 
Chinese, the Koreans apparently put the family name first mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. the personal name. So I'm not sure who, which is Yu Yong and which is Yu Kuang Nam. Mm. <laughs> I have no idea which of those is which. Suna uh, is maybe, the girl. Yeah, Suna is the sister or the daughter, depending on yeah, well, is who she you're related, relating her to. Is, she's the older sister of the boy. Of Icho. Mm -hmm. whom, uh, that's the thing. None of them are. He must be you, you Icho, but they don't. He's not credited that way. So I don't Ooh. know if Yu Yong or Yu Kuang Nam, which of them is Icho. But he's Ooh. in the same family, so he must be you Icho. Uh, I guess it doesn't matter. But the summary doesn't say. It doesn't say. And uh, I guess that I'm not sure if the astronaut, I guess the astronaut must be Kim Yuri. So I don't Man. know. We'll see. I have quite a few <laughs> notes for this movie, but I guess we'll just see if I have them written down as we go. Well, we start with a shitty outer space shot of the moon <laughs> and the earth being out of proportion and too close to each other and clearly just. You know, toys. All the toys, all the time. In South Korea, I'm reading the Wikipedia summary. Thank, Thank you, Wikipedia. You, Wikipedia. In South Korea, a family gathers for the wedding of an astronaut. It just starts with the bride and groom in their just married car driving mm -hmm. away from a rocket base? From like the Korean <laughs> version of Cape Canaveral or Cape Kennedy? Uh, so apparently the wedding ceremony was at the rocket base? Well, you know, when you're an astronaut, it's just like when I was a bartender, all of the girls would like have their baby showers at the bar. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, not like while it was open and stuff like that, but uh -huh. I just mean like when you're like, he's an astronaut, it's like cheap, nice right. wedding venue of something. Well, the, like, rocket, you know? the rocket is right there on the launch pad, like it's ready to go. It is his wedding night. I guess that's where they would keep it. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so they, they drive off and then the families stand around talking and tease Suna about when she's going to get married and if she's going to marry Ilwu. And she says, that would be like marrying a computer. So <laughs> she seems to have something going on with this scientist guy, but is embarrassed by it or some shit. I don't know. She's kind of. Yeah, like, yeah kind of a jerk yeah i think she's like just embarrassed yeah and then um because he's not a cool astronaut i guess but i'm not uh, clear yeah. what her relationship is if she's the the sister to the woman that just got married or, or what anyway the couple that's driving off though wonder why ichi didn't show up and this little shit has somehow gotten a mile or two up the road by himself and has a itch ray or a headache ray what is it's itches isn't it yeah some sort of experimental itchy light <laughs> yeah he ambushes them he shoots this light at them causing them to itch and then Ilwu comes along behind them as they jump out of the car and are scratching like mad and he quickly figures out what's going on and and doesn't calls he call for um, Ichi. Ilwu his his uncle or no, or no, he, okay, that's later. He, cause, okay, sorry, I, I remember, never mind, scratch but, that. Uh, okay. <laughs> so he knows what's going on and he calls Ichi out of the bushes where he's hiding and then takes him home. So I hope he's his uncle. He, he doesn't call anybody to say, hey, uh, Ichi's with me. <laughs> he's okay. I know everybody's been wondering when he didn't show up on his own to the wedding well, or it's, when it's he kind of wandered like off from the wedding. It's kind of a theme for the whole movie for Icho to just disappear or do whatever the fuck he wants. <laughs> like he kind of always just sneaks off and is apparently yeah. really good at it because it's like a yeah. theme of the whole movie. Yeah. Icho of course is the Panchito of this movie. He's our Ichito, which he's our second Ichito. He's our Korean Ichito. Yes. He is the precocious young boy who gets into all kinds of shenanigans. And he's about eight. That is a direct quote from him when someone asks how old he is. He says, I'm about eight? I'm about eight, yeah. <laughs> Give or take a little. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Also, while we're on this subject, the person who dubbed Icho's voice, mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. I kind of felt like he... Ah, how do I put this nicely? Like, it kind of looked like he wasn't watching 
the <laughs> the lip movement. The, the lip, yeah, not because <laughs> of what he was saying to the lip movement, but just because like the acting looked really good. Like the guy, the character, the kid's like really into it. He's making like lots of facial facial expressions and stuff. And then the little kid who's dubbing it is so monotone and yeah. kind of shit. Not trying to be rude. Well, is that rude? I'm not trying. No, no. It appears that the Korean version of this film is considered partially lost, so I guess we won't ever get to see the original performance, the undubbed performance. So that's a shame. So the astronaut is trying to have his wedding night. He's kind of (laughs) sleepy and not that into it. But then uh, before he can, can get into it, he gets a call and... His father-in-law, I think, yeah, who's also yeah. his boss, calls him away on an assignment. He's like, hey, I need you to come get in this toy rocket. He needs to get in a rocket to go monitor a nuclear test in the Middle East? That's not what rockets are for. <laughs> they are today. They have planes for that. So he, he has to go, and he promises him he'll get two whole weeks off once he gets back. The test triggers an earthquake that shifts the epicenter to the heart of Korea? I don't think that's exactly... The authorities initially withhold this information from the public until they are sure where the earthquake will strike. That's not exactly... They describe it as a moving earthquake. Mm -hmm. Not moving in the normal sense of it starts one place and then waves move out from it. Yeah. But like the epicenter itself is moving around and they don't know Mm -hmm. where it's going to end up. Of course, we know... Because we've seen these movies that there's a monster underground causing this. The nuclear test has woken up a monster and now it's crawling around causing earthquakes. And they're like, this earthquake is defying every natural law of no demand. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh, yep, sure, sure. So this was a a little bit of a different thing rather than it just popping up straight away for it to move around underground for a little bit. Lots of times they move around underwater. Mm Mm-hmm. Before they pop up, but this is the first time underground. We did get a little teaser at about 25 minute, minutes in when we just see his little, like, bat spikies, but we don't actually see yeah. the full monster, which I really like when they do that. I, I like when mm-hmm. they when they do, they give, like, just enough teasers to be like, don't worry, it's coming, but we don't see the monster <laughs> all the way right away. You know, it's good. Right. I like that. He has a little bit of a stegosaurus back thing going on. Yeah. Yeah, he's got back spines. Oh, but while they're doing this whole, like, earthquake thing, and they're talking about how this earthquake is, like, doing it, and they're like, ah, someone says something like, oh, there were these fables that my grandparents told me about, about uh, Yongri, and, like, uh, like, he kind of, like, you know, throws it out there that there's a that there was a fable going on when he was a kiddo. Which I'm pretty sure there's not. (laughs) Uh, just like in Godzilla, where they say, oh, there's this old legend, but it's not an actual uh, Korean legend. Right. Yeah, this is probably the best Godzilla ripoff that we've seen. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, once it reaches the Huanggai province, mm-hmm. don't don't hold me to that pronunciation, the authorities impose martial law in the area. You know, like to do government, pew, pew, pew. Quake strikes Pan Moonjom, where a photographer takes pictures of the ground splitting, which reveals a giant creature moving inside. This is the little glimpse you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The photographer manages to get away, but crashes his car due to the quake. The photographer manages to reach the authorities and deliver the photographs of the creature before succumbing to his injuries. The authorities name the creature Yongari, based on an old Korean fable about a monster connected to earthquakes. When South Korea is being evacuated, the South Korean army is dispatched to the Inwang area to attack Yangare, but with no success. So just like in all these movies, they roll in and make with the bang bang, but it doesn't do any good. Yep, government with the pew pew. Yeah. Ilwu, a young scientist, decides to go to Seoul to find a weakness in Yangare. His girlfriend, Suna, who is not officially confirmed as his girlfriend at this point, opposes this, but he goes anyway. Suna and her younger brother Icho pursue Ilwu to try to stop him. 
Yangre eventually reaches Seoul and causes complete destruction. I, I want to say, too, that Yangri looks really good. Like, I really like this costume, everything that they added, like the tusks and the horn and the tail whippies. Yeah, he's a basic bipedal Godzilla sort of shape. Mm -hmm. And he has spines on his back like Godzilla, but he's mm -hmm. got a horn in the middle of his head. And his snoot is a little bit longer, too. And uh, did you say tusks? Yeah, he has... Mm -hmm tusks and, and, his, and he has fingies fingies like, yeah like little individual fingers <laughs> yeah his back spines do look a lot like a stegosaurus i think more mm -hmm. so than than godzilla and godzilla do. totally and he's got the kind of glowing eyes that a lot of them have that just light up from the inside uh. <laughs> yangri eventually reaches soul and causes complete destruction during the rampage ilwu and suna lose icho and walk around uh, trying man. to find him. <laughs> the military suggests using guided missiles against Yangari, but the authorities fear the missiles might do more damage than the monster and may destroy the landmarks of old Korea. However, the authorities decide that Korea's future is more important and agree to use the guided missiles. I guess that's some kind of political statement happening there. Hmm. Talking about the, the, the future of Korea as opposed to the uh, past. Icho manages to escape through the city's sewers. I I really liked this moment with the uh, Icho um, lifting up the manhole cover, yeah, and then cutting good. cutting to the model, and we see the little mm -hmm. tiny manhole cover on the model <laughs> lifted up. Yeah, although he's got those manhole covers are kind of heavy though. He's pretty strong to get that thing up and get underneath it. Uh, but I just I. Just found that really charming, the little tiny manhole cover lifting up and closing. Uh, but yeah, he ends up uh, down in the sewers and then reaches, escapes through the sewers and reaches an oil refinery where he finds Yangare drinking oil and gasoline. Icho turns off the main valve because he just somehow knows... Yeah, I thought this where, was weird. I was is. like, all of a sudden, he started like twisting wheels and pulling levers. Like, you're about eight. How do you know what the fuck <laughs> you're doing? Right. <laughs> but he turns it off, and that causes Yangre to go berserk and destroy a tank that triggers a chemical reaction that makes Yangre itch and scratch and start choking? Question mark. I I. I... I thought this was weird because it, it didn't look like he was choking, but the subtitles said choking. <laughs> it was like, Yongari chokes. And I was like, what? <laughs> uh, Icho then returns to Ilwu's house to tell him what happened at the refinery. Ilwu then reveals this discovery to the authorities and urges them not to use the guided missiles because they will give him more energy. I don't know how he knows that. Well, they assumed that he was drinking the oil and the gas to somehow give him energy. Mm -hmm. Did he breathe fire at some point? Yes. Yeah. He has like yeah. a yeah. fire breath, which in this movie, there's a lot of really cool, like catty corner camera angles or like camera angles where like the camera is down looking up at something, but at like kind of a catty corner when there's like chaos in the street, we see this. There's a lot of moments where we see this like weird kind of cool camera angle that we've never seen before and i was kind of annoyed that we didn't or that they didn't use this camera angle to kind of hide the metal piece in his throat would, like we yes, could see the like I, lighter part it was kind of annoying i was just and gonna like, say yeah yeah that they had some bad angles when when he's breathing the fire we can see the mechanism that the fire is coming out of the tube the big metal circle inside his mouth that's shooting yeah, the fire. Yeah, it's it kind of that was like my only complaint about the costume. They just had to, yeah, they just had to change the angle a little to for us not exactly. To see that. I felt like with the kooky camera angles that they used throughout the film, there was kind of no excuse for them to just yeah. dead on pan into this like mechanism. It was kind of annoying. Yeah. But that's my only complaint about the entire costume. So I'd say that's pretty good <laughs> considering what we've seen. In yeah. The past. So uh, Ilwu's claims are brushed off and they proceed with the missile, pan, missile plan regardless. 
Ilwu then goes to work on a chemical to defeat Yangare using a precipitate of ammonia. Yangare is then struck with Ilwu's ammonia and missiles, which is enough to put him temporarily to sleep. However, Ilwu believes the ammonia needs more work. And then fucking Icho goes and gets the itch light. Oh, Icho. And shines it on Yangari and wakes him up. He was laying there sleeping, harmless, (laughs) shines it right in his face, and his eye opens up. To Icho's amusement, Yangari then begins dancing, and Icho dances with him. This is my favorite part of the entire movie. It is so cute. I don't understand it. I don't know why we're doing it, yeah. but I fucking loved it. And I think they play some music to go along with it. They definitely do. It's adorable. So, but then he, uh, Yangri, returns to his rampage. So, thanks a lot, Icho. Well, it's not Icho's fault. Like, he's like, so what happens is they're dancing and Icho's having a good time. And then these two guys come up and they're like, oh shit, what the hell? And they grab Icho and Icho's like, hey, leave me alone. No, get out. And then they start <laughs> shooting and shit right. at Yangri. And so then he yes. freaks out. Like, he was dancing and having a great time. And then. <laughs> These fucking douchebags came along and pissed him off again. He was having fun with Icho. So don't yeah. blame Icho because, w- I mean, he did wake him up, but he was dancing with them. He was having a good time. Ilwu <laughs> <laughs> um, loads the finalized ammonia onto a helicopter and dumps it on Yangare in the Han River, where Yangare collapses and dies. Although apparently in the original Korean version, he does not die. Well, it sounds like he doesn't die because Icho, like, it looks like he's bleeding out of his butthole into the river, which I don't know why it looks like, why they made it look like this, but he's, like, bleeding out of his ass and, like, twitching, and Icho is like, no, stop, do you have to do it another time? Because we could just, like, let him live, like, he was dancing and having a good... And they're like, oh, you know, you're right. Maybe he was just looking for food and he wasn't trying to hurt us. And so they, like, talk about it as if they don't kill him. Like, as if they are going to go over him one more time and kill him, but then decide against it because they're not sure if maybe he was just, like, looking for food or whatever. So they talk about it as if they don't. This says, the following morning, Ilwu is commended for his role in defeating Yangari. However, he cites Icho as the real hero, for providing him with the information of Yangri's eating habits. I guess they mean the eating, the oil, and the gas. Yeah. In the end, Icho opines that Yangri was not evil by nature, but rather simply looking for food. And aren't we all simply <laughs> looking for food? <laughs> Don't feed the kaijus. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, friends and neighbors, we have another special interview today. With me, I have Jason Vay of Elf Lair Games to talk about his monster fighting game, Night Shift, 
veterans of the supernatural wars. Welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So, uh, normally we talk about kaiju movies on here, but we do sometimes talk about other kinds of monsters, and we've talked about games and monster-related things before, so I wanted to have you on to talk about Night Shift. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, well, Night Shift is a... Uh, it's Really, it's a, it's a horror and urban fantasy RPG that is designed to use very simple, intuitive mechanics that are going to look familiar to almost every gamer in the world. And uh, it lets you play any kind of horror or urban fantasy game you want. It can handle everything from Buffy the Vampire Slayer to Call of well, to Lovecraftian horror to The Exorcist to The Walking Dead. Whatever you want, it can do it. <laughs> I like how you stopped yourself from saying the name of that other game. That other game, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, speaking of Night Shift, Day Shift just premiered on Netflix recently, and you could totally use this game to play in that setting. Yeah, I have that in my watch list. I haven't actually fired it up yet. It's all right. It's uh, entertaining. It's fun. Maybe we'll put that on the list for 31 Days of Horror this year. We tend to do a mixture of classic and new stuff. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a perfectly serviceable movie, but would make good inspiration for a Night Shift game. So this game uses what you're calling the Ogres engine system, what have you. Yes, it's you Ogres, Ogres stands for uh, Old School Generic Role-Playing Engine System. But really, um, Tim and I just like to be able to say that the game's powered by Ogres. Yeah. So by about four or um, five ogres on a big wheel turning yeah. <laughs> it around to power. Yeah. Conan's so I power. mean actually the game came about it's it's really I have to give credit to Tim Brannon, my co author on this, uh a great deal of credit because um I keep a very, very irregular, like I update it a couple times a year, uh old school gaming blog um mm -hmm. called Wasted Lands Fantasy. And I had done a um, a blog entry on how you could use origin the original white box D and D rules to run a Buffy the Vampire Slayer game. Okay. Tim messaged me. This is actually all in the introduction to Night Shift too. Uh, Tim messaged me like the next day and was like, "Dude, why are we not writing this game? Uh, you know, there's nobody in the world that can write this game the way that we can. We have to write this game." Uh, and at the time, I was because I also am a staff writer for for Troll Lord Games. So at the time, I was like, I am just so busy right now. I have so much on my plate. I can't really get into another project. But Tim knew what he was doing, and he he knew that I would not be able to resist starting to work on it as soon as he put the bug in my brain. So like a week later, I had the system half written, and I messaged him and said, "Okay, let's do this, but let's do it right. Let's actually launch Elflare Games." Because it had been kind of floating around as a print-on-demand um, and PDF company for quite some time. But I said, let's if we're going to do it, let's do it right. We'll do it on Kickstarter. We'll do a traditional print run, the whole nine yards. And he said, yeah, let's do it. So really, he's the one that kind of pushed to get this started. And then he and I wrote the game together. So Yes, I backed that Kickstarter. Nice. Got the book well, thank you for your support. Here. We appreciate it. You're, you're welcome. Uh, that was what, maybe a year ago, a little more. Uh, it was about two years ago because it came two out in the middle of it came out in the middle of COVID in 2020. Yeah. yeah. So uh, last year we we released the Night Companion source book. Yes, I backed that one too. And then they sat on my shelf for a while because we all know games are to sit on your shelf and look pretty, it not gets, to play. <laughs> I can't count how many that's happened to me. Too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we did get it out in the last couple weeks for my regular gaming group and played it. I thought I should actually play it before this interview. And uh, we, we had a lot of fun. We only had one player go down. Nice. For some reason, he thought you couldn't cast healing spells in combat because he had some healing spells. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, what, are you, what are you talking casting. about? Yep. It's what, they're, it's what they're for. Yep. 
So fate uh, points too. Did he not spend any any uh, fate points? Um, no, but I think we were using the we were using the quick start, and I may have neglected to emphasize. Yeah, they're the in. Fate they points. are in the quick start. So I told yeah. them about. I told them about them, but then I didn't remind them. Yeah, they're a really important part of the game, especially if you're. I mean, it depends because the game has has which the the quick start kind of touches on this, but the game has three levels of grit that you can choose. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, your default, which we call realistic, but that's basically just for lack of a better term. It's, it's a fantasy game. It's not realistic. Um, and then we have gritty and then we have cinematic. Mm-hmm. And so you, you, you select like you can mix and match. You can have like gritty firearms with, you know, cinematic hit points and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, if you go full on cinematic, you're in like Lost Girl slash Buffy the Vampire Slayer mode. If you go full on gritty, you're like in the Evil Dead mode. And then you know the the realistic is kind of the just the default standard somewhere in between. But um, if you're in realistic mode, fate points are like key to keeping your characters alive. Okay. Well, we were playing. Let's see. The first week we played the uh, Tainted Blood. Tainted blood. Written by Derek Stolting, and anybody who knows us from our Eaton Studios days will probably know who Derek is, but Derek wrote that Tainted Blood. And then uh, last week we were playing the other Quick Start. under The one for the GM Toolkit? Yeah, yeah, I think. Okay. I believe so. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, um, oh my goodness, I'm drawing a blank on my own product name because I just refer to it as the GM's Toolkit now. By the blood of the new moon. There it is, by the blood of the new moon. That's it. So we got partway through that one last week. We just had the climactic scene to finish up. So we'll okay. probably, do, probably do that this week. Now, normally, this game has descending armor class. Yes, it does. Normally, I do not care for that. But you've approached the mathematics of it in a different way, kind of from a different direction, the math still all seems to work out the same, but it makes a little more sense. You, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, people have told us, um, and I don't know that this is literally true, but I guess in some sense it it, may, it, it works. But people have told us that we have made Thacko make sense uh, yeah. in this. Um, basically, the reason we use low armor class is because everything in this system uses a d20 uh, everything that uses a d20 check because as you know there's there's three mechanics Mm -hmm. in the game but the d20 checks that that deal with combat and ability checks it's always you're rolling a d20 plus your ability bonus plus other bonuses and trying to get a 20 or better that's that's always how it works uh armor class you also add the ac so the higher the ac the easier it is to hit a 20 so lower ac then becomes better Yes. Um, the the AC kind of in, in, in combat, the AC substitutes for what an ability checks would be the difficulty modifier. Yeah. Basically. So when you approach it from that direction, the descending armor class makes sense. Right. Because you're adding instead of subtracting. It doesn't yeah. particularly make sense to me in the normal way of approaching it. But uh, you've made it work. And if I ever found that for whatever reason I wanted to run a uh, first or second edition D&D game using those rule sets, I think I would uh, approach it in this way. You could do it. You could do it. I, I don't know that the that it's statistically identical to the way it works in first and yeah, second I edition. Haven't, I haven't sat but... down and worked it out, but it just seems to me intuitively that it probably works. Yeah. Um, Tim is a statistician, so he, he ran the <laughs> statistics on like he literally has a PhD in statistics, so he he ran the statistics on everything in the game, and I yeah I don't think it's I don't think it's statistically identical, but it's certainly close enough for government work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did have a technical question. Some of the characters had an ability called improved defense, where the the opponent gets a minus to hit them. Why is that not just expressed as an improvement to armor class? It actually is all drawn from like the earliest versions of the game where mm-hmm. fighting men in the very, very earliest versions of fantasy role-playing had that where for every point of dexterity above 14, 
became a minus one to hit them in combat. If you wanted to, you could certainly just subtract that from armor class. I think mathematically it would probably come out to be the same thing. Um, yeah, it seems like it should, and it seems like it was just adding an extra step that I didn't need to do. If I yeah, to, just, to us, armor, armor class, class represents you know, armor that you're wearing. It, mm -hmm. it represents other factors other than your dexterity or your combat efficacy. Uh, whereas this improved defense represents your actual ability to evade blows. Okay. So it basically is just what it represents in the context of play more so than what it represents mathematically and statistically. Right. Cause, cause in some games you do, um, you take your physical armor and then you take your dexterity, which is your ability to avoid being hit in the first place. And right. You, sort of add those together right and in this game only characters that have improved defense get to do that i see so yeah if you wanted to you could you could just figure it into the armor class there's no reason mechanically why you couldn't do that yeah. uh, to and us it's just a factor of what it all represents what i think we probably w would going forward because we had a tendency to forget oh yeah i have improved defense right and that would certainly help to yeah alleviate that so uh, you you got this game. There's a number of night worlds. Is that what you call them? Different settings? Yes. yes. Mini settings. They're basically there to show you the different things, types of things you can do with the game. Um, we don't, the game does not have a core setting. Now, the City of the Twilight Queen setting, which the two quick starts are set in and is detailed in our first adventure module, which we call a night trip, which is called a Faustian dilemma. We're using that one as the setting for most of our adventure modules, but that's just so that we can have a point of reference. We don't want anything to be considered like the core setting of the game. Everything is designed to be put into whatever setting you want to play. Right. And it did seem like those adventures could go pretty much anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Any modern city. Do you, this is a little off the topic, do you have a favorite monster? I mean, I love werewolves. Ever since ever since I was a little kid, uh, werewolves mm -hmm. have always been my favorite monsters, yeah. which is funny because uh, I was just talking to Steve Chenault, the owner of Troll Lord Games, the other day, and he hates werewolves. <laughs> so we were going back and forth about that because I absolutely love them. But uh, yeah, werewolves definitely. And I also think, ironically, that werewolves are probably the hardest creature to actually pull off well in a movie. There have been so... So few really excellent, scary werewolf movies. Mm -hmm. When it comes to street-level monsters, as, to, as opposed to kaiju, uh, I think werewolves are my favorite, too. Yeah. I mean, if we're talking about kaiju, if we're talking about kaiju, I have to go with the all-time classic. I mean, it's it's Godzilla. It's it's yeah, just, yeah. you know, there's, there's no, there is no other. So. Yeah, definitely, definitely Team Godzilla when it comes to the big guys. But to the yeah. human-sized ones, I quite like a werewolf. When it comes to the old Universal films, Wolfman's my favorite. Yep. And I love the fact that once they got into the kind of shared universe of the old black and white Universal movies, mm -hmm. House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, they're all actually about Larry Talbot. All yeah. of them. Dracula yes, and Frankenstein yeah. are like off to the side and they're guest stars, but it's all really about Larry Talbot either trying to die or trying to get cured. Even Abbott and yeah. Costello meet Frankenstein is about Larry yep. Talbot. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. So. But one reason he's my favorite is because he's not based on a novel that is being, uh, I don't want to say ruined, but poorly adapted. Right. right. He's completely original. Yeah. So they yeah. can do what they want with him and not uh, mess anything up. And I got to say, and I know I'm, I'm in the minority on this, and some of your listeners are probably going to like throw things at the screen for hearing this, but. I actually quite liked the uh, the relatively recent Wolfman remake that they did. The oh, one yeah. with, no, with Anthony Hopkins as Lord yeah. Talbot. And um, um, I'm having brain fog. My, the, uh, the Javier? I think it was Javier Bardem. No, it wasn't Javier Bardem. Um, ah, crap. I'm, I'm just drawing a blank. But, but I thought it was quite well done. I, I thought it was quite well done. Uh, I, I mean, the the obligatory werewolf on werewolf fight at the end was a little much, but other than that, it was very well done. Benicio del Toro. Benicio del Toro. That's who it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed that movie. I thought it was perfectly fine. And, uh, again, better than any Dracula or Frankenstein remake that just, you know, goes way off the source 
material. Yeah, the last really good Dracula movie was Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Francis Ford Coppola one in the 90s. See, I didn't care for that. They lo- Well, they lost me at the title. If they had called uh, it see, Francis Ford it Coppola's Dracula, I but might it have is, been more But it, it does follow the book better than any other Dracula it, adaptation it, that's ever been it, done. Not better than the Louis Jordan one. But it does have Quincy Morris in it, and I appreciate it for that. Yeah. I, did, I didn't care for the sympathy for the devil approach to it. I think sometimes it's okay to just have a bad guy who's a bad guy. I agree with that, yes. And I, I was not crazy about the love story that they that they yeah. kind of ramrodded into it. Yes, I'll, I'll give you that. But overall, <laughs> I really liked it. I thought it was well done. And uh, Keanu is often problematic. Well, yeah, his English <laughs> accent is, uh, is rough. <laughs> And that so is Winona Riders, but yeah. But hey, if you want to recreate that movie, you can use Night Shift to do it. Right. And and without saying without saying anything specific or giving any actual annou- announcements, at some point in the future, you might see something come down the pike. Oh, oh. Now you implied you were going to do other things with the ogres system. Are you working on anything in that direction? I am actually. I'm working on our. Um, our house fantasy game right now, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be called Wasted Lands, the Dreaming Age. Okay. And it's going to be kind of um, H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard meet high fantasy. Okay. It takes place. Uh, this one is going to have a core setting, but it's going to be a core setting that can be easily divorced from the rest of the game if you want to just use it as a generic fantasy game. But it's going to be set. Uh, roughly a thousand years after the stars went wrong and the old ones went to sleep, the great old ones went to sleep, and uh-huh. humanity is trying to throw off its bonds and claim the world from the lingering minions of the old ones that are still around. Uh, and the shtick is that you will play. It's all going to be humans. There's, there's no. We will have rules for elves and dwarves and such in an appendix, but in the core game, it's all humans. So you'll be, but you'll be playing, say, like a warrior named Woden, or a sorceress named Isis, or a witch named Tiamat, and you are the original archetypes for these figures that will go on to become remembered as the gods of myth and legend of of the ancient world. Uh, and the game is going to have a series of what I'm calling divine touchstones. So as your character progresses through the the GM's interpretation of the myths of the character that you're playing, you'll gain divine touchstones, which will give you powers over certain aspects. So if you're playing Woden and you choose war as one of your eras, you'll get certain abilities that will, you know, give you power over the aspects of war or whatnot. Um, So you'll actually be climbing the ladder, not to become a god, but to become the figure that people will remember as a god. Mm-hmm. thousands of years okay. in the future so that's that's kind of the general shtick of it but it will use the same system as night shift um it's become really popular among gaming companies now to say all our games are powered by the same system but then they make right. serious changes to the system with every game mm-hmm. we're not doing that the ogre's system is the ogre's system so if you know how to play night shift you will know how to play wasted lands and in the future we have a science fiction game coming that's way way down the road and i won't really get too much into it but again it'll be the same system you will know how to play it okay and are you going to be uh kickstarting that yes yeah whenever it's done uh right now uh right now i'm kind of buried in stuff for troll lord uh because we're doing a big new printing of amazing adventures which is also my game i was gonna bring that up yeah so i'm doing a lot of work on on that is is consuming most of my time right now so uh, i've had to kind of back burner some of the l flare stuff i am hoping to get a few things out here pretty soon adventure modules and some small stuff just to remind everybody that we're still here but uh, some um, modules modules for night shift or yes night shift yeah okay night shift. good good yeah, yeah I, I like uh I like a pre-made adventure. Yeah. Sometimes it's fun to make them up yourself, but it's it's Unfortunately, it's not so. my strongest suit as a designer because I tend to write adventures for my home group, so they're just like disjointed mm-hmm. notes and then when I have to put them together <laughs> as a script for other people, it it, right. it takes a while. Well, I, our group has played a fair amount of amazing adventures. Uh, I backed the Kickstarter for the 5th edition version of that. Okay, okay. 
we we uh, played some of the written adventures that that came with that Kickstarter, and mm-hmm. then at one point, I as some filler, I sent them to the Isle of Dread, right. and then when we got to the climax of the the Red God thing, they uh, fell through the portal and woke up in Oz. Oh, that's really awesome. That's really awesome. There's a company that's actually doing a, a fifth edition Adventures in Oz RPG. Yes. There's a so. there appear to be a couple of them, but I've backed yeah. one of them, so I'm like, well, that'll be showing up soon. By uh, so by the yep, time we're ready too. to swing back around to this game, because you know we kind of rotate our games a little bit, so uh, yeah. I'm like that. I have the PDF, but I like to have the physical book. So by the time we're ready to swing back around, I'll have the physical book probably. Yeah, I'm with you. I PDFs are nice to have for quick reference, but when I'm at the table, I have to use books. Yeah, yeah. At the table, all my games are online these days, and we found it so convenient that we may never go back. I hate online gaming. Just a personal thing. I, I, you know, I'm not dissing anybody else out there that loves it. It's a very popular thing now, but I can't do it. I absolutely hate doing it. I've done it a couple times, and I found the process miserable. Right. Well, of course, we kind of had to do it when COVID hit, but then we've had various players move away to other cities. And if we wanted to keep playing with them, my group just just shut down when COVID was happening mm. until it until it all cleared up, and then we got back together again. Oh yeah, no, we weren't we weren't going to do yeah. that. <laughs> but I find I'm actually playing more online, more than I was before, because I don't have to pack up all my stuff and haul it across town somewhere, or, or my friends right. don't either. So they're more willing to jump into a game if they can sit in their underwear and play. Yeah, it's absolutely convenient. You know, there's no doubt about it. And there's some neat online tools with the VTT programs and stuff. I just, I personally don't get anything out of it. I don't enjoy it. And I don't like the process. It's just, it's just a personal thing for me. I think that it's, it's a great thing that it's out there and people can do it. And it's, it's bringing people together in in new and exciting ways. It's just not for me. I would recommend if you work with anyone who's good at that to maybe see about getting a night shift character sheet. For we are uh, night. Not well. We're not looking at roll twenty right now because, uh, quite frankly, fantasy grounds and roll twenty are are expensive and they're a nightmare to get uh, developed for. Um, I, night shift is coming to Foundry. Okay. I have somebody. I have somebody programming it for Foundry right now. Uh, he says okay. it's coming along really well. He's hoping to have something that we can test out pretty soon. Yeah. I can't say exactly when it's coming because it's that's at the mercy of, you know, uh, okay. Owen, who's my programmer. But, um, but yes, it is coming to Foundry. I think fans can just put up a character sheet. Uh, I mean, I've never worked from that end of it but uh yeah i, I know, know there's all kinds of partnership deals that people do but i think mm-hmm. also there's a bunch of character sheets that are sort of unofficial that a fan has just put up we may do with a basic D sheet i think or old school yeah i mean that may be worth looking into because yeah as much as a as a an old school basic D sheet would work for night shift there's there's things that are designed on our character sheet that allow you to like you might not have forgotten your defensive you know ability if you were using the night shift character sheet so uh that might be something to look into if, if it's yeah if it's if it's something po- uh, possible it's something that I'll, I'll definitely look into and i think you can uh, just get a sheet up there without doing a whole okay. big you know contract thing and all right good to know i'll mo- look into selling it. the modules online and stuff like that you know yeah because uh, good yeah, to know i'll look into it the whole thing well uh Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, you want to give out your, uh, your 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 uh, website? Yes, uh, it's just elflair.com. Elflair, all one word. E L F L A I R. Elflair.com, uh, and you can find all of our stuff on there, including our print-on-demand and PDF stuff. So, and you also work for Troll Lord Games. Yes, Troll Lord Games. I'm the um, Amazing Adventures is is all me. It's it's my game right now. Although we are starting to look at bringing some other people on to uh, do some third party stuff for it, but we'll see where that goes. But right now, it's all me. So, uh, and I do some work for Castles and Crusades, um, and I do um, the line developer for the Five E stuff. So yeah, that keeps me busy. <laughs> that keeps me real busy. Yeah. So you can find Amazing Adventures and Castles and Crusades at trolllord.com. Correct. And right now they're giving out the player's handbook for Castles and Crusades for free, a PDF of it. 
the PDF is free. Yes. Yes, because we're encouraging people to hashtag play CNC instead. Yeah. And there's, uh, I should mention, we implied this earlier, but there's two versions of Amazing Adventures. There's one that's uses the Siege engine, which Castles and Crusades uses, and then there's one that uses the 5th edition. 5th edition, yeah. Uh, rule set. Yeah. We all, we so, all know and the, what the it Siege is, the 5th engine edition. Ver- actually, the, uh, I believe the Siege engine version of Amazing Adventures is on a deeply discounted sale right now because we're gearing up for the third printing, uh, which is going to be on Indiegogo. Okay. Um, I did buy it all once when it was deeply on sale before. Yeah, and the, the actually we're really excited because we're giving it a major facelift for the third printing. So we're going to go to a traditional three-book model with a, a player's guide, a GM's guide, and a monster book for it. Um, it's going to be all in full color. It's going to be it's going to be the same old game. None of the rules are changing, but it's going to be a very nice, very attractive looking reorganization and facelift for it. I'm, I'm pretty mm-hmm. excited. Cool. Yeah, I saw some of the mock-ups. They just look kind of like silhouettes right now, but <laughs> they hinted yeah. at big Yeah, big yeah we're on, uh, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, which I'm at TLG on Twitter, you can find the link to the Indiegogo for uh, Amazing Adventures third printing. Yeah. So I guess we should say Amazing Adventures uh, – it started as kind of a pulp game, but now it's more of a generic modern fantasy. Multi-genre, game. yeah. It was always yeah. intended to be our multi-genre modern version of the of the Castles and Crusades rule set, but by branding it with pulp, we kind of put it into a certain box that maybe we didn't really intend to. So we're basically just mm-hmm. fixing that with the rebranding so that it's Castles and Crusades is our high fantasy D&D style you know, classic right. RPG and amazing adventures lets you do anything else that you want to yeah. do with the siege engine. So, well, I get that, but it was the pulp that caught my attention. So, right. And that's still <laughs> going to be that's there. What got it's me definitely there. still okay. going to be there. Yeah. The brotherhood of William St. John is not going anywhere. So, <laughs> yeah, it was the guy in the rocket pack that caught my eye. So mm-hmm. I think I don't know if he's on the mock-ups yet, but I think we are trying to squeeze him into one of the covers for the third printing. So, cool. Yeah, cool. yeah, I like that guy. Goggles and rocket packs can't go wrong. Well, thank you again for joining me, Jason. Everybody, check those out: elflair.com and trolllord.com. And uh, maybe we'll talk about it some more when some of those projects we mentioned are ready to kickstart. That'd be great. And now back to the rest of the show. So, uh, Honeybee, thoughts on Yangare? I enjoyed the movie. There were a few points in the movie where I kind of felt like I missed something. Like, did I? Like, I would, I would have to rewind it a little bit and be like, "What the fuck is happening? Like, did I miss something?" And I could never find out what exactly I missed. So there were like points in the movie that were just kind of confusing to me. And I was like, I didn't really understand the storyline so much in certain parts. Like I couldn't figure out what the hell was happening, but they were far and few between. Overall, I really enjoyed the movie. I would say um, as far as the kaiju goes, like I said, best Godzilla ripoff we've seen so far. It did feel very Godzilla-y, but they did add enough for me to really make it good and i'd say this is the best costume that we've seen in any movie so far godzilla or not Mm. yeah it was really good i liked the mouth movement there was this one part though where uh his mouth was opening it was when the missiles were coming when the missiles were like firing towards him and his mouth was opening and closing but there was no sound coming out and i just imagined him like (laughs) (laughs) just nothing happening so it was just I don't know. I just had to like make up the own sound in my head, I guess. But um, I thought as far as like kaijus go, this was like four stars for me. As far as movies go, like a 3.5. I did like it, <laughs> but it did feel very rip off. The best okay. one we've seen, but I did All like right. it. I enjoyed it for sure. And, and, and like I said, I really couldn't let go of uh, the kid's voice. Like I made so many notes about that kid's voice and his lines like, there's this one part where, like, the boy is laughing. You can see the actor laughing. He's, like, looking up at his sister, and he's, like, ha, ha, ha. And it says in the subtitles, 
like Icho chuckles and the kid literally just goes <laughs> and I was like is he not watching like is could, could he not see that like I don't know it really bothered me there are so <laughs> many times when he was just really monotone like Icho's like the point where everyone's like we're gonna go you know with this chemical and Icho says I'll go too and the like expression like he's excited like he's gonna go too but the little boy's like I'll go too. Like, it's just so annoying. Oh, it, it really annoyed me. But other than that, sorry, I rant over. No, no, no. That's okay. <laughs> you rant as long as you want. But that was the only thing I really didn't like was the dub voice of Icho and the fire throat that we could, like, see the mechanism in his throat was kind of annoying to me. Yeah. But, yeah, I thought it was good. What about you? Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't think there was much that was to particularly, you know, innovative or <laughs> groundbreaking or anything, but uh, it was well made. Um, uh-huh. I I liked it. I guess I'll give it a three. Say it was cool. okay. I think Soon Ah does end up with Ilwu at the end, doesn't she? Yeah, at the at the very <laughs> end. So Icho is like talking to the reporters, and everybody's like. Oh, Icho, when, when Iwu says that Icho's the real hero and they're like talking to him and they're like, Icho's like, man, I really wish that Yonga was here because he was good. He was only looking for food or whatever. And they're like, what else do you wish, Icho? And he's like, I really wish my sister would just marry this guy already and stop like just <laughs> pretending like she's going to. And she's like, you little brat. And he's like, I'm your little brother. I'm supposed to be a brat. And in a few months, maybe you'll make another little brat. And she's like, a few months. And everyone's yeah. like, ah. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, the movie ends. I, yes, yeah. Icho does not have a clear idea of how long it takes to, to make a brat. Because <laughs> he's like two months, a couple of months. Yeah. He's like, what? Yeah, there. I know there's a part earlier on where there's some excitement, and then she hugs him, and then catches herself and pulls away yeah it was so it's a fairly tepid romance like most of them i guess the biggest romance is already over in the beginning you know the the couple that's just gotten married some romance happened off screen and now it's being uh solidified (laughs) in the opening (laughs) scene uh but then keeps getting interrupted so even they can't get on with business uh in uh other kaiju related uh content did you catch any of that show i mentioned negative <laughs> Boo. well i'm gonna go ahead and mention it and you can give your input next time there is a new cartoon on netflix called super giant robot brothers about a couple of super giant robots who fight kaiju and it's a lot of fun. It's only like 10 episodes. The kaiju themselves are uh, kind of nondescript. Uh, and the designs are fine, but they don't have any personality or anything. They're just mm. there for the robots to fight. The robots have all the personality. The kaijus don't even have individual names. Dang. Something in outer space is shooting kaiju at the earth through a portal. And these robots have to fight it. We may discuss it in a little more detail once uh, Honeybee has had a chance to watch some of it. Uh, of course, if when we catch up with ourselves and get to 2022, then we'll do a real in-depth analysis of it. But it's a lot of fun. It's very colorful. Uh, apparently, there's some innovative animation technique going on, something about rendering the motion capture in real time or something. I, I don't know. Ooh. But the two robots are shiny and thunder and shiny's the happy goofball and thunder's the serious taking care of business robot and uh, it's a lot of fun and it's on netflix so check that out folks let us know what you think about it let us know what you think about yongari or anything send us emails or anything let us know how you think about anything You email us at monstermoviefuntimego at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm slash mmftg and leave us a voice message and we will read your comments on the air or play your message. We're still trying to have a Twitter giveaway, but we only got like 25 followers. So let's get Which those we, numbers up. Every single 25 one of you. 
What was that? I said we love every single 25 one of you, though. Yes, but we're not giving away those DVDs and Blu-rays until uh, we get some higher numbers up around 600. So spread the word, share the link, retweet it, tell your friends and family, badger them about it until they've all subscribed. <laughs> uh, so I guess that's going to wrap it up for Younger Eight. I have been Precious D. And I have been Honey Bee. Remember to keep calm and seek shelter in basements. And please, do not misuse science. We will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Monster Movie Funtime Go. Yeah, baby! You've been listening to Monster Movie Funtime Go. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on your podcasting platform of choice. Our theme song is by the Texacato Folk Rock Punk featuring Rita Lopez. You can support the show, find links to our social media, and even leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash mnftg. Oh, no!